We gather to encourage, to echo the Word of God into each other's lives, sowing seeds that will bring forth a harvest. Not just words spoken from this podium or from this stage, but one-on-one as we hold the door for each other, as we take turns at the coffee pot. This is a place of hope, a confident expectation of experiencing the goodness of our great God. What a great time of worship this morning. That was, that was pretty awesome. I love that uh, when listen to the power, I, I, it's implied, we've never talked about that song, but Jesus spoke to the wind. That's where we get that from. It's not just something some songwriter pulled out of thin air and it sounds good and it rhymes. It's Jesus said the same things and greater you will do in my name and Jesus spoke to the wind and he said, listen up. Do you guys remember, uh, I don't know, everybody grows up different, everybody has different conversations with their parents. My parents had a way of communicating to us when they meant something. There was the first layer of communication which was, Isaac, be quiet. Just spoken like that. It was like I was obviously not going to listen to that tone. But then my dad had this thing, and I just said it, but my dad had this thing, and he would look at me, and his eyes would pop out of his head, and he would say, Isaac, now listen up. And when he said, Isaac, now listen up, it was to be listened to. And if I chose not to listen, it didn't go that well for me. And I think about that, I think about that picture. Every time we sing that song, we sing the chorus, when listen to the power, the sound of power on my lips. We're speaking just as Jesus did to the wind. You say, shh, it lays down. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us the Holy Spirit, for giving us your word. As I said, good morning, welcome to the Family Room of the Rock. We're so thankful this Memorial Day weekend for this United States of America. That's a flawed nation. We've got issues. I don't want anyone to hear that I say we've got no problems. But I'm thankful for this United States, for all those who have given the ultimate sacrifice to provide and protect this great freedom for all of us who came after them. We're going to take just a moment. We're just going to kind of be quiet and think about that. The idea that someone would give their lives for a concept of freedom. Built in today's Memorial Day, it's not grilling day. Tomorrow's Memorial Day, it's not grilling day. It's fine to grill. But built into the word memorial is to remember, to make much of, to give honor to. And sometimes that's lost, as we do in our culture, our society, and the effects of sin and darkness in the world have on things. They tend to remove or fade or erode the actual meaning of this holiday. This holiday is not necessarily one that is designed around, like the 4th of July is designed around fireworks and the declaration of freedom in this country. This one is designed around a little bit more of a somber thing, to remember, as Tom talked about, those who gave their lives. They said, the future generation's freedom is worth 
me sacrificing my life. And I just, I'm humbled and honored to be an American citizen. The title of this morning's message, for anyone taking notes on the title, Jane, is Love Hopes All Things. Kind of a shift from last week. We're not changing the theme in that we're looking at the goodness of God and the gospel, but we're looking at a different facet of it. I felt very strongly this week as I look around and talk to people, you know, as most of you know, everyone in here knows, but anyone listening may not know, this isn't like my full-time gig. I go out in the world and I fix broken stuff for a living. I weld on stuff and repair things, build things. And in doing that, as you all know, because you all are also out in the world doing stuff, communicating with people, buying groceries, doing, doing life, buying gas, smaller amounts of it now, but buying gas and we're doing stuff in the world and we see the world is on fire. And not like on fire, like necessarily, I think there is revival taking place, but it's like, it looks bad. Does anybody else see that? And that's not an amen, let it be as we have said, but that's a, we see that it is as we have said. And what seems to be in noticeably short supply is hope. And now, I mean, we can look at any of you and in, in here, any of anyone listening in my own life, tiny things, personal things. Maybe it's just only in my physical body. Maybe it's in my finances. Maybe it's in my plans for this summer. Maybe it's in my plans for vocation. It might be community-wide. It may be church-oriented. It might be all the way up to global things. It, there's some difficult things going on. And what seems to be noticeably absent in most believers' conversations is hope. Now, hope, what is, anybody know what hope is? It's the confident expectation of seeing God's goodness. This is biblical hope. Earthly hope is just kind of a whim and a wing and a prayer. And you might be here thinking, I think Isaac's talked about this lately. I have. I talk about hope often. And when I look around and I'm, reminded by everything going on around me that I need to have my heart fixated on hope and I struggle, I'm guessing that's something we're all dealing with. The Holy Spirit really quickened this message this week in my heart for today. It was going to be a little different, and this is kind of where we've landed. My question that I want to open up with today is, how's your hope? How's it doing? We, we ask people, like, you know, little Rip was born in December, so people are always asking, like, how's your baby? And maybe asking, how's your folks? That's like the thing. Well, well, how's your folks, Ben? I haven't seen, maybe some of you are like, no one says that anymore. I still say that. I ask people, how's your folks? How's your kids? Now, if you're a farmer this spring, we ask questions like, how's your spring coming along? And implied in that is like, how many acres do you have? How's your job going? How's your career? How's your recovery? Whatever. We ask people these questions, just like taking, a, taking their pulse, checking their temperature, and my question this morning is, how's your hope? Is your hope doing okay? Is it maybe getting a little shadowed? 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, we'll just read 15, Jane, says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Be ready always to give a defense. The word for defense there in the Greek can be translated a cause, the reasoning, or the computation. So be ready always to give the cause, your reason, the way you figured it to everyone who asks a reason for the hope that is within you. 
with meekness, which means mildness of disposition and gentleness of spirit and fear. That's weird. Well, that word actually means reverence or respect. So we'll read it with these other definitions in here. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Be ready always to give a defense, a cause, a reason, the, fig- the way you figured to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is within you with mildness of disposition, gentleness of spirit, reverence, and respect. Now what most of us tend towards, maybe not us in this room, but Christianity at large today, it seems that we apply this verse to mean be ready always to give our reasons and our thoughts on why the world is a mess, why the economy is crashing, or whatever it is, on just how bad it is. That doesn't sound like 1 Peter 3.15. But look around. It's easy to go around talking to people about how bad it is. And in the scope of the last 6,000 years of human history, it ain't that bad. It's, there's not good things. There's difficult things. And we could do an expose on all the things that are wrong with the world. And they'd all be wrong. But as believers, are we supposed to be credentialed experts on the problem or ministers of the solution. Because just going around talking about the problem, as we just sang about, it matters what we say. There's authority in the things that we speak. Usually what we say reflects our dominant thought pattern. So our dominant thought pattern directs what we say, which ultimately directs the course of our lives. So as we travel through this life discussing how bad everything is, the hardship, the difficulty, giving a reason instead of 1 Peter 3.15 for the hope that is within us, our expectancy to see the goodness of God. If we travel through life giving exposés and deep reasons for why everything's wrong and what the solution is in the natural, our lives will tend and they will trend towards those negatives. You'll just think on them more. You'll see them manifest in your life more. Now, you may still see negative things manifest in your life, but they aren't going to own you. They aren't going to own us. Are we ready to give a reason, a cause, our figuring on the hope that is within us? It says, goes on to say, with meekness, with mildness of disposition, Gentleness of spirit. The Holy Spirit sort of took a hold of my insides on this one. And I just, I know this is a thing I struggle with. I'm just telling, that's, that's not my strong suit. Mildness of disposition and gentleness of spirit. I struggle with that one. Just confession. But think about when someone communicates something to you. Some of you maybe have experienced having your mind changed. Anybody in here ever had their mind changed on something? For instance, you thought maybe you were, we'll just use something, you thought you were a Chevy guy, but now you're kind of a Dodge guy. Or maybe you thought that you liked white bread, and now you're kind of a whole wheat bread kind of person. Or you thought you were, you fill in the blanks. You've had your mind changed, thought one way, and your mind was changed to a different way. Anybody ever experienced that? I'm guessing if we all stopped and thought long enough, we'd be like, you know what? I have had my mind changed. Interestingly enough, I can guarantee that your mind was not changed by blunt force trauma to the head. 
No one ever argued or shouted down someone into a changed mind. When we speak the defense or the reason for the hope that is within us, if we do it with sledgehammer-like blows to people's hearts and minds and souls, if that's our application, we will never change anyone's heart and mind. We will never explain in a way that they can understand and know the reason for the hope that is within us. But if we can, explain it with mildness of disposition and gentleness of spirit, will be heard. We have the best chance of being understood. And as we do so with reverence and respect, that lends itself to, as we're communicating the reason for the hope that is within us. And I've looked across this room, I venture, there's not a lot of people that I would refer someone to for a reason for the hope that is within me more than this group of people. I feel confident I could send anybody to any one of you and you would be able to explain the reason Isaac has hope is the reason I have hope is because of this. And as we do so with mildness of disposition, gentleness of spirit, and reverence and respect, see, if you remove those things, we become less believable. When you speak with reverence of something, it demands that everyone around you either step up to that revering or step away from the conversation. That's the way it works. And I think the reason that Peter gave us this instruction is so that once we've sanctified, once we've clearly set in our hearts who the Lord God is in our lives, we become ready to give a reason our computation for the hope that is within us. And we do so with mildness of disposition, meekness of heart, gentleness of spirit, and reverence and respect. People we will be compelled to listen. You see, I've experienced this last week, and I shared I, I work out with, outside with all kinds of different people. Um, the problems of our world, they're like literally right after hello. If I pull up to a job and I open the door, How's it going? There we go. We're on to the problems. Well, and then everyone unloads what all's wrong. And I have a choice in that moment because I'm aware of what's going on too. I see the problems. I see stuff going on in the world that I'm like, I get this down here. It's not good. It's not okay. But I have a choice in that moment. Which way am I going to go? Am I going to just tag into the discussion? Status quo is... Where there's, yep, you're, you know what, you're right. And they say, well, look at gas prices. Yeah, and you know what else? And I can tag right into that discussion. And it's natural. And I'm not throwing a stone at anybody that's been there. I've been there. I've done that. And that was actually in the middle of one of those conversations that the Holy Spirit tapped me on the inside. And he's like, hey, hey, are you ministering the solution or are you just commiserating with the problem? And the Holy Spirit just got me. And I'm like, I have to become, we need to be strengthened and encouraged in being ministers of the solution, not credentialed experts on the problem. You may say, how can you not just see problems? Turn on any news, look at any news on your phone or your tablet, your television, your computer, whatever. Read anything. How can you not just see that? That's a fair question. Is that a fair, it's like, yeah, because it is, I mean, you don't even have to turn anything on, just drive down the road and see, oh my goodness, they're adding digits to gas signs in places in the country. How, like how, it's bad, it's bad, bad, bad. How can you not see it? 
I got the answer. This is maybe new to you, and it may be like, wow, that's the oldest thing I've ever heard. But I got good news. You and I, we choose what we think about. We have a choice on what we meditate on. Now, you, we see things. You can't, I mean, you could cover your eyes up and just try and walk through life. I'm not going to see anything. No, you're going to see stuff. That's just the way, that's the way it is. That's the way it's always been. But you choose what you meditate on. What you fix your attention on, what you let your gaze to settle upon, we choose that. Read a passage of scripture, Philippians chapter 4. You guys have heard me read this a few times in the last year. Chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. We choose what we allow our minds to meditate on, and our lives, as Tom just shared, are typically trending the direction of our dominant thoughts. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9 reads, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. That's one of my favorite verses. And it's, it's clear, like we maybe need that twice. Paul wasn't like, you know, if you can rejoice, fine. and let your, He's like, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll reiterate, choose to rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. There should be, I'm sure, implied in the text was, uh, unless it's 2022, then anxiety would be fine. No, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts. It does not say, note, if you're making a note, it does not say, may. This is a point worth making, church, Philippians 4, 7 says, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. You ain't never gonna understand it. It doesn't say surpasses some understanding. It says all understanding, and then it says will. There's no caveats. There's no if, ands, or possiblys. It's will guard your hearts. It will stand guard over your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Verse eight, finally, my brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, Whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate, think, dwell on these things. The things which you learned, received, and heard, and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Verse 8, to meditate on these things. We can run everything, every thought we have. We can take it captive to the obedience of Jesus, run it through the Rubik's of 4748. And if it does not fit, if it doesn't fit through that, we have to make a conscious decision. And it's like, wow, that seems like a good theory. It's not a theory, it actually works. Choose not to think. I can't think about that. And sometimes, if, does anybody remember one of the very first times I preached here? I know Tom will remember this. I preached on displacement. Anybody remember that? And I put oil in a jar and then we poured water in. And it's the only way to get the oil out of the jar without turning it over was to just pour more water in. Anybody remember that? No, it was very impactful to many of you, I know. Um, but as you pour the water in, the oil is di displaced. That's how this works. Sometimes you can't say, I'm just going to empty my thoughts, empty my mind of all negative thoughts, all fearful, all anxious thoughts. I choose to empty it. I'm emptying it. Well, if you ain't putting anything in, they're going to rush right back in. But when we displace them with the word of God, they leave and they flee. I got to keep moving because 
There's a little different angle of this that I want to get to for us this morning. It's the word that I really feel very strongly about. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5 reads, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom, our Lord Jesus Christ, we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope. There's that word rejoice again. We rejoice, and there's that word hope again, of the glory of God. And not only that, we also glory in tribulations. Whoa, that doesn't sound very good. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. Character produces hope. Now, hope does not disappoint. One of my favorite sentences Uh, fragments of a sentence in all scripture is the next fragment of a sentence. So we pick up at verse five, it says, now hope does not disappoint. Right here it is, church. Because the love of God. If I was gonna make a bumper sticker, I would just put that, because the love of God. What do you mean because of the love of God? Go look it up. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. What a great revelation, church. Because of the love of God, our hope will not disappoint. It's not because we followed all the steps. We did all the stuff. We read our Bible enough. We were at church all the time. We didn't do the bad stuff. So hope won't disappoint. Nope. It's not it. Hope does not disappoint because the love of God The cause in this is because the love of God. It's not because put our name in there. My hope hope won't disappoint. Hope doesn't disappoint in my heart because Isaac. That's not how it reads. That's not how it ever reads. Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. We're going to bring this full circle. This is the second angle of this that I want to talk about this morning. Every single person in this room, if we was to go across the room and everyone shared their week, we'd be here for a little while, but every, what we would find is every person in this room and every person within the sound of my voice has had their own set of issues this week. Everybody. And if, if I was to approach you and say, I've got four or five hours, I want to hear what the difficulty is in your life. Maybe that wouldn't, maybe that wouldn't put a scratch in the surface of it. Maybe you'd be like, well, I don't have that many problems. Like four hours would be plenty. But if we sat down and talked, we would find they're all different. They may have some similarities, but they're all different. Our victories in the last week, they're all different. Our difficulties, our things that we've lost, our hardships, they're all different. And yet, how often as believers we deal with one another based only on our half of the conversation? This is something the Lord has been kind of working with this hope thing in my heart. It's like, do I interact with people based on their life or mine? I interact with people just based on mine. It's like, and never choosing to take into consideration, I'm not sure where they're coming from. I'm going to choose to listen. Now, as believers, we're to be known or earmarked Does everybody know what an earmark is? A few of you know what an earmark is. If you're ever around a hog farm, they mark hogs' ears. They notch them. They probably throw this thing off of 
Apple Podcasts for that or whatever. But they notch pig's ears, and they can tell the birth date, they can tell the mama that it came from, and the daddy that the pig came from, just by the notches in their ear. It's an earmark. We, as believers, are to be earmarked, notched into our ear, set apart, different than the rest, set apart over here, looking different than all the ones around us by one thing. Everybody know what it is? You might think, well, maybe it's hope because that's kind of what he's going on. It could be our coffee. We have some pretty good coffee. It's, it's, maybe it's our worship. This morning, we could be set apart by our worship. It was a great time of worship this morning. It could be our audio-visual experience. That's actually a thing. Like it, they call it, they put it, it's like an audio-visual experience. I didn't know that, but it is. It's a thing. It could be our seating. For us, it could be our variety of seating. It's one thing. Jesus gave one earmark, set apart by our love for one another. Now, in the church today, in society today, not so much in the church today, love has been boiled down to all kinds of weird things. And primarily just feelings. Well, you know, as well as I do, we all know we're all some varying form of adults in this room, and we know that feelings change. Sometimes feelings change by the minute. And love, like Boston sang however long ago, it's more than a feeling. That's cliche, and I kind of want to play the song now. But it's, it's more than just a feeling. Love is a decision. In fact, God's kind of love, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7, it says it bears all things. It believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. That doesn't sound like any feeling I've ever had. Does, it feel, does that sound like a feeling you've ever had? Like, there's moments where it's like, oh, I feel that way. And then the moment passes, and I don't feel that way anymore. And that's not how love operates. Because that very first word in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says what? Bears all things. That means it bears changing feelings. It bears when circumstances don't line up with it. Believes all things, and the title of our sermon this morning is Love Hopes All Things. I love that word hope. It's a count. We confidently expect God's goodness in all things. Now, there's a, we're going to bring this, we're going to wrap the bow around this whole thing, and I want to, we got a few more points to make, and then we're going to kind of tie it all together here. Hope is a function of love. Okay? If you're going to write, write a sentence down, hope is a function of love. To the, the degree that we know that we are loved by the Father will directly correlate to the degree that we walk in hope in this world. It is a function. It directly correlates. Now, I'm not talking about, hear me out, church. I'm not saying the more you know that God loves you, the better everything is in your life. We still will encounter all of the difficulties in this world, but our hope is not a function of our circumstances our hope, which is actual biblical hope, confidently expecting God's goodness, that's not attached to this world. It's attached to Jesus and knowing how much he loves us. Hope is a function of love. John, if you got your Bibles, John 13, verses 31 through 35. And I've, we've read this and read this and read this, and we're going to keep reading it and reading it and reading it because I think it's very powerful for us. Verse 31, we pick up, it says, So when he had gone out, this is Judas had left, Jesus said, 
Now the Son of Man, this is the night before the crucifixion. This is in the upper room. They had participated in communion, and he's having a discussion with his followers. Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. Verse 32, if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Verse 33, little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, here we go, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, here's our earmark verse, 35, by this, by this way that you love one another, all will know that you are my disciple if you have love for one another. Now, in 2022, when we look at that verse, by this all will know that you are my disciple if you have some strange feeling for one another. Is that how that, we don't know, we're, we're stewards of the word of God and so we don't take things and just make them imagine and mean whatever. We look at this actual text, that word love, it is Strong's G25. Agapeo, which means to love. Read it, I'll read some of, the, some of the definitions in the Greek was to love, the act of to love, to have a preference for, to wish well to, to regard the welfare of, to take pleasure in the thing. Now here, this is what, this is really where this verse comes alive for me to prize it above other things. And this is it, church, to be unwilling to abandon or do without it. Take that definition of that word, agapeo, or God's love in action, and read back through that. A new commandment I give to you, that you prize others above all things, that you are unwilling to abandon or do without each other. That's how we treat one another. As I have prized you above other things, as I have been unwilling to abandon or do without you, that you also prize one another above other things, that you are unwilling to abandon or do without one another. By this, all will know that you belong to me, that you are my disciples. If you have this prizing each other above other things and unwillingness to abandon one another. That's a big word, church, and it's not super fun for us always to think about. It's like, I don't know if I, you know what? We don't have the capacity to do that. On our own, we're toast. We can't do that. You read that, it's like, oh boy, I could do that today, as long as I get a break tomorrow. Because I mean, it could be difficult. Someone could wrong me. I could be offended. Someone could step on my toes. Someone could not do what they said they were going to do. Someone could do more than they said they were going to do. There's so many areas where this doesn't work, Lord. This is not, this isn't really doable. Clearly, he doesn't mean this. Or does he mean, after I give it to you, you have the capacity to give it to each other? He he didn't say, as I have told you. This is big. Jesus doesn't say, as I told you to do, go do it. He said, do as I have done. 
I have loved you. I gave you the template. I gave you the example. And I gave you the love. It's not that we loved him, but he loved us first and gave himself for us. Jesus gave us this love, so now we can give it to each other. Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 through 10 reads, And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we don't lose heart, if we don't quit, we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially those who are of the household of faith. God's love in action, it expresses itself to each other. I'm going to get into this last little bit, and we're going to kind of, then we'll start tying the bow. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 through 25 in the Amplified. This is a little different. I know everyone, hold on to your seat. We're going to read the Amplified version. Let us seize and hold tightly the confession of what? Our hope without wavering. For he who promised is reliable and trustworthy and faithful to his word. That's a fun verse. He who promised is not us. He's reliable. He's trustworthy. He's faithful to his word. And let us consider thoughtfully how we may encourage. This is, I know everyone's got memorized their versions. This is the Amplified, so bear with me. I like the detail that is put here. Let us consider thoughtfully how we may encourage one another to love and to do good deeds, not forsaking our meeting together as believers for worship and instruction, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more faithfully as you see the day of Christ's return approaching. Stick a pin right there for a second. People all over the country, all over the world, are talking about where we're at in the scope of the end. Turn on any, anything anywhere, and you'll see that in Christian circles. And we might very well be there. I don't know. What I do know, beyond shadow of all doubt, no question, is this is my last generation. This is my last hurrah. I'm not saying today. I'm saying like, this life, this is it for me. I get one life. I'm not gonna just keep living here. I'm leaving. When I tag out, whatever time in my life I tag out, I'll be very old when I tag out. I'm, not, I'm done. This deal's done for me. And then I'm on to eternity. And that's, as every day that passes, see, we're closer to Christ's return today than we were yesterday. And we'll be closer tomorrow if we haven't realized it by then. And we'll be closer on Wednesday. We'll be closer on Friday. Each day that passes, we're getting closer. So as the days pass, let us not forsake the assembling together is the way that I memorized it. Let us not forsake the assembling together of the body of Christ. You see, as we gather as a church body, not just here on Sunday mornings, but throughout the week, we are to gather to encourage, holding tightly to our confession of our constant expectation of God's good, goodness. Encouraging each other to love and good deeds, not forsaking each other, not forsaking gathering. It's important that we encourage each other in this. In our society today, the one thing we don't do very well is stick to anything. Because like, well, maybe they don't want to anymore. That seems like a good reason to quit anything. Does everybody here, like, and it's kind of a, it's a fairly new thing in societies. I mean, it used to be, think about this. 
100 years ago, most people, when they got a job, that was what they were. And a 1,000 years ago, that's exactly how it was. Do you know that that's how most people got their last names, their family names? Millers, for instance, did not get that name just because their dad's last name was Miller. It's because that's what their family did. They were Millers. That's like, this is a long, long time ago. We're not talking 50 years ago. But people held careers or vocations a long time ago, generationally as a family. It's like, well, we are the family that does the Miller stuff. That's who we are. Now, you fast forward, it gets shorter and shorter and shorter. But 50 years ago, when people went and got a job, that was like the job they were going to have. It's like, I'm going to be, you fill in the blanks, I'm going to be a structural welder. Well, everyone kind of understood when I told you I'm going to be a structural welder, that's pretty much all you're going to be. Like, that's not all you're going to be that that's not a good job or anything like that, but you're not going to be something else. You're not going to be a structural welder for 10 years, and then you're going to go be an accountant. You're not going to do that. Now, today, man, you can change your job like you change your shoes. Well, I don't, I don't really want to do that anymore, and so I will quit and do something different because I don't want to anymore. And that's, we've applied that to relationships. We've applied that to family stuff. We've applied that to commitments. I mean, the automobile industry has applied that to owning cars. No one buys a car. When I was a kid, like when, when my dad was my age, he had had both vehicles he had ever had. Both vehicles. He had one, and he wore it out, and then he had another, and that was all he had had by the time he was my age. Well, why didn't he get a new one? Because the old one wasn't worn out yet. We'll just have it until it quits running. And then we'll go find another one and we'll have that one until it quits running. From the time my dad was my age to the time he's, till now when he's significantly older than I am now, he's had two more cars. That's a while. He bought one and he drove it for like 15 years and the wheels literally almost fell off of it and then I got it. And then he got another one and that's the one he has and he'll probably have that for, like that's, that was the mentality. Now, I've had more cars than that. Because my generation, it's like, well, I don't know, I got a different one today because I had the other one yesterday. And so that's how we view things. The problem is when we apply this to our fellowship as believers, it costs us. And what it costs us, so this is the bow on the top of this whole thing I want to share and convey, and I hope is coming across clear, is it costs us hope. It costs us encouragement. It costs us when we choose to apply that mentality to our fellowship with believers. It costs them and it costs us. Because a lot of people, and our model for church today, not here, but our model in the big church, is it facilitates this belief where you guys just come And then the guy up front does all the talking, all the thinking, all the applying, and you, if you're a good Christian, will write it down, and then you'll try and do it that week, but there's really no, you don't really have a role in the, this is just kind of like, well, I just did my thing, I came, and and I put some money in the thing, and I drank some coffee, and I left. That's not church. That's a social club. Church is about interaction. There is more of this church happens when I'm not talking than when I am talking. This isn't the point of this church. It's this. And when we interact with each other, when 
Terry comes up to me and gives me a word, and he's not sure. Like, I don't know if this is really, I'm just, you know, just going to share you this word. This is a passage of scripture. I'm going to text it to you today. It really laid on, was heavy on my heart for you. And then I, that ministers to me. And I'll, I'll tell you a little testimony. I received a word like that in a text form from somebody I hadn't talked to in a long, long time. The moment I received it, the guy was courageous enough to send it, even though we hadn't talked in a while. I received that word. And 10 minutes before I received it, I had been on the phone with another friend of mine whose life was falling apart. And I was uncertain. I was like, Lord, I don't know what to share with them. I received this text, and it was like, that's what you share with them, and that's it. That's the whole thing. It was a passage of scripture and a brief little explanation below it. That's what I'm supposed to send. I had nothing to do with it. I didn't author it. I didn't source it. I didn't write it. I received it, and I sent it on. It really blessed that individual. Now, I, you could all go around and talk about those and there's times it doesn't work out and whatever. But as believers, it's not just if you choose to not participate in the, your church family, it's not just, well, you know, I figure it's gonna cost me not hearing, but whatever. No, it costs us. As your fellow church family, it costs us when you're not participating with us because you've got a word for us. You guys hear the Holy Spirit. You all have the Holy Ghost. Everyone in here that's born again was given the Spirit of Christ on the inside. And so when he communicates to each of us, it may be like, I'm not sure. That's okay. In the body of Christ, you're, it's a safe place to share that word. And what's interesting, the Holy Spirit, the word that he gives you will always bear witness with Scripture. He's never going to give you a word that contradicts scripture. And what's fun is if we're in the word and then Martin, if I'm in the word and Martin gives me a word, there's a dinger that goes off. And when I get that dinger, it's like, oh, that's from the Lord. Where if I had just read through scripture and he never had the courage to share that word, the dinger doesn't get a chance to ding. The scripture, the highlights don't, it's like, I've had some scripture this morning that a friend of mine texted me about, and it was scripture I was reading in preparation this morning, and boy, the dinger went off. It was like, that is definitely what I'm supposed to share. So you see, as we gather, as we, and I'm, by gather, you might think, okay, so he really wants us to come to church. That's not what I'm getting at. I'm saying gather, I'm encouraging you. It's an invitation to gather, and it doesn't mean necessarily here like this. It can be like this. It can be like this. It can be driving over to someone's house and stopping in. That's gathering. It's not just, okay, well, we gotta go to church. No, gather with fellow believers and gather with courage. And this is an invitation, not an obligation. We... Whenever you talk about church and whenever you read Hebrews 10.26, it's always this big, like, or 10.23, it's always this, like, okay, we gotta go to church. It is 25. I got that wrong on both sides. I just glanced down at it. Not forsaking the assembling together of the body. That's not what I, this is an invitation. Not an obligation. It's an opportunity. And I wanna invite you and encourage you, encourage us as the body to gather, to encourage each other with hope. 
We can rejoice in hope, as Paul wrote in Romans. We can encourage each other on the reason, our cause, our reasoning, our computation, our figuring for the hope that is within us. Again, it is an invitation to gather, and when we and as we gather, let us do so actively loving one another. That agapeo love, to love, to prize above other things. And I love that last definition, to be unwilling to abandon fellowship, to be unwilling to do without it. God's love in action. The way Jesus loved his disciples is the way that we are to love each other because he loved us first. Because he gave us his love. Worship team, if you want to go ahead and come up, we're going to sing a song when we're done here. If you would, join with me and stand this morning. We believe that our words matter at the rock. We've talked about that this morning. It matters what we say. It matters how we say it. The things that we speak are seeds. And as Proverbs says, life and death are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat of its fruit. So I'd like to dismiss us this morning with a declaration, a blessing, which is just a spoken positive over this body and each individual here this morning. Here at The Rock, we choose hope over despair. This world may throw all sorts of curveballs our way, but we hold fast to the word of God, to the hope contained therein. We declare with this word that we are blessed in the city and in the country, and that though the attacks of the enemy may come against us one way, they must flee seven. We thank you, Jesus, for the blessing upon our children. We choose this day to raise them up according to the word of God, regardless of what this world says. We thank you, Lord, that you command the blessing over our barns, over our storehouses, and everything we put our hand to is blessed. We choose to declare with David that we certainly believe we will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, because Jesus, you have promised to never leave us, to never forsake us, and if you are for us, then who can be against us? The wicked may flee when no man pursues, but as the righteousness of God created in Christ Jesus, with these promises on our hearts, we choose to go forth with the boldness of the lion in the joy of the Lord. Bow with me if you would. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word, for the hope that we find in your word. It is a certain hope. It is a solid hope, Lord. We thank you that you verify it. You clarify it in our hearts, our minds, you verify it in your word. Lord, I thank you for this body, for each person that's here. We declare a blessing over them in Christ Jesus. We thank you so much that your promises are yes and they are amen. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.